So uh, today, as Greg said, we're kicking off a new series. It's called Creating a Culture of Generosity. We're doing this uh, because we worship a generous God. And what we're going to look at today is a story that Jesus tells that has a massive misunderstanding in it. There's one person who completely misses Jesus, completely misses salvation. And when we miss things in life, when we misunderstand things in life, stuff gets messy. All of us have been betrayed by autocorrect at some point in our life when you've sent messages that aren't even close to what they're intended to be because there's an autocorrect misunderstanding. But sometimes it gets deeper and sometimes it gets more messy. Uh, so let's check out a video on that right now. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächters. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. Mayday, Mayday. Hello, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you... Over. We are sinking. We are sinking. Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. We are sinking. We're sinking. What are you thinking about? So sometimes things get misunderstood. And what we're going to look at today really reveals God's heart of generosity toward us. If you've got your Bibles or your app, go to Luke 18, verse 9. Uh, we're going to look at a story that, that really highlights God's heart of generosity. And generosity is something that's supposed to envelop everything that we do. Uh, Isaiah 32, verses 7 and 8, it gives this picture of doing generosity. It says, the smooth tricks of a scoundrel are evil. They plot crooked schemes. They lie to convict the poor, even when the cause of the poor is just. But generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. I think we think of generosity, we think that it's financial. And it is financial, financial, but it's also every other area of our life. It's not just a giving standard, it is a living standard. And that's modeled to us by God perfectly. He says, I want this to be in all areas of your life. Not just something that you kind of keep in one area. So the Olympics started on Friday, and people are all into that in various levels. Some people know that it exists. Uh, other people are all geeked up and excited about it. Tim, the guy who leads worship, he changed his cable package so that he could get unlimited uh, recording and like unlimited games all throughout the Olympics. And you know that you're serious about the Olympics when you are live texting curling. Uh, that is him. You can talk to him about that. He is stoked out of his gourd for Olympics. But with generosity, it's not just to be something that has its part, part of it, its power in our life, but to go everywhere and all over every area of our life. And this happens because this is a picture of our God. We worship a very generous God. And the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus for us, the gospel shows us what generosity looks like, okay? Because for all of us, from the very, very beginning, the moment that we're, that we're conceived, when our heart starts to beat, God loves us, absolutely loves us. There's nothing that any of us could do at that point or in any other point in our life to disqualify us from the love of God. You are, therefore, you are loved by God. And what the way that, that makes that so mind-blowing sometimes is because all of us know, whether, if we're honest for even a quarter of a second, that we have things in our lives that fight against God, that we, win, that we live against God in various areas of our life, and that's called sin. And what Jesus did that was so exceptional was he took on our skin, took on our sin also, took our place before God, that as we, we've worked in sin in our lives to build up a debt to God, Jesus says, I'm going to take all of that debt, 
And instead of punishment and judgment from God, they're going to have forgiveness and right standing from God. That's generosity right there. That when we say, okay, God, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to, to get off the throne of my own life and put you on the throne of, of my life. That, that's a picture of generosity. That the relationship that we have with God only happens because God is incredibly generous. That he sent his son when he didn't need to, to pay a debt that he didn't earn, and so that we have the life that we don't deserve. It's generosity throughout. And this is, this is brought throughout scripture. John 3, 16, it's a very popular verse among Christians. People hold it up at sporting events. It says this, it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that's not the only verse that talks about it. We looked at this two weeks ago in Romans, Romans 8. It says, and having chosen them, that's us, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he, what's the big word? Gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them glory. It's another picture of God's generosity, of God pouring out over us what we don't deserve. Next verse, Galatians 2.20, it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, it's God's generosity on our behalf. One more verse, just to run up the score. Even though we were dead because of our sins, God gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, because it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's only by what God gives us that we don't deserve, that we ill deserve, that establishes our relationship with God. Generosity and God's grace, they work hand in hand. The idea of God looking at us and saying, no, 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 this is mine, it doesn't work with God's character. We have all been at that point in our lives where things around us have fallen apart, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your relationship with your kids, whether it's finances, whether it's your relationship with your parents, whether it's the fact that your car isn't starting, whether it's your job, whatever it is, we come to God and we say, God, this is messed up. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I need you here. God, will you please help me? And God says, I've got a lot of Bachelor that I'm catching up on right now, so I'm going to finish this. And then when I'm done with that, then you and I can get together. But I seriously don't think that will be until like next Tuesday between 10.15 and 10.17 p.m. Can you make that? Well, that's not what God says. God pours out on us answers and hope and words of encouragement when we need it. He's not saying maybe next Tuesday when I'm done with the Bachelor. He says, I'm here for you. Because our God is a generous God. And a culture of generosity starts in our heart before it hits our wallet. Saying this is a heart issue way more than it's just a financial. It's a financial issue, but it stems from what's in our heart. There's a point where Jesus is having an argument with some of the religious leaders, which he did often. uh, And his big point to them is this whole list of do's and don'ts that you have. This is only external stuff. I want to go after what's in your heart. I want your heart. The lady who is singing up here, her name's Hannah. Uh, she's great. A picture of her and her family are going to pop up. And uh, a few months ago, because of where we are as a ministry, we've got a lot of things where we've got like one person who does them. Uh, and this particular week, we had zero subs, which isn't usually a problem. Uh, but when Hannah got really sick, it was kind of a problem. So she found out there are no subs. And so she said, okay, I'll sing anyway, uh, which is not her normal voice, but it was that week. So during practice, there's very little voice. During first service, there's a little bit less of a voice. Second service, like Tim led all the songs because Hannah up there wasn't going to sing as well as usual. And so she, she's sick and she gets back down and sits down, probably just ready to fall asleep. And Jay, her godly, amazing, supportive husband, puts his arm around her and says, well, you gave it heart. 
<laughs> like, that's all. That's all it was. It was just a heart. There's no voice. It's just heart. And Jay's over there, and he already got ambushed after first service. Lots of people telling Jay, hey, man, this morning you gave it heart. Jesus knows our hearts. And I think we, we hear that. And the first, night we, first thing that we start doing, at least the first thing that I start doing, is start qualifying God's love for me. Saying, yeah, God, you know my heart, but you're not really excited about this. Yeah, sure, God, you know my heart. I'm new. It's, mercies are new every morning. I'm chosen. I'm mi-. But God, like seriously, do you also realize this stuff? Because when we look in the mirror, we get an image that's completely different from what God sees. I mean, this morning, I think of myself, okay? So I look in the mirror, and, and I, I see a picture that's pretty unique, pretty, uh, pretty shaving cream-ish. Uh, I look in the mirror, and, and I see a guy who was supposed to wake up super early yesterday morning and go running, and instead I woke up, and I went downstairs, and instead of running, I went and took a nap on the couch uh, for about half an hour, and during that half hour at 5.11 in the morning, uh, this guy's four-year, or, yeah, four-year-old got up and started screaming upstairs, uh, Mom, I'm hungry, I'm ready to eat, Mom, 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 uh, and the guy in the picture, uh, he slept through the whole thing. So at 5.11, uh, my beautiful wife was in bed uh, wishing that we had two kids, not three, and uh, that everybody was sleeping. She wasn't saying that. This is my words. Uh, while that guy in the picture was sound asleep. Like, I look in the mirror, and I think, like, that's, that's jacked up. Like, that's, that's not good. But God looks, and he sees something completely different. We're loved. We're chosen. We're called. Even in the deepest, darkest death and stench of our sin, God still loves us as sons and daughters. So I want to tell you, I'm going to do a little exercise to put us in that place as, as we go through here. So for all of you, I want you to count in your head right now to 10. Uh, it's silently with just ready, set, go. Count to 10. Okay, that voice that you heard, that's the voice that God is going to use to talk to you. It's not going to be James Earl Jones speaking in King James English about all the things that thee needs to apply to thine, okay? That's not how God's going to do it. God created you. God created your voice. God created your mind, and he's going to speak to you in the language that you already think of. And so now what I want you to do is to close your eyes. Even if you're a new parent, trust me, this is not going to last long, and if you fall asleep, you really need it anyway because you've got a newborn. So let's close our eyes, and uh, I want you to picture something, okay? You're standing in front of a mirror, and Jesus is next to you. Jesus who loves you. Jesus who gave his life for yours. Jesus who took all of your sin and traded it for all of his perfection. And he says to you, my daughter, my son, I want you to see how I see you today. And so he takes a big inhale, and then he breathes out really big on the mirror that's right in front of you, and there's this big fog cloud. And so Jesus takes his finger. Uh, and so, Father, I pray right now you're going to write down on the mirror how you see each and every one of us. What's the one word that you hear that you have for us, Father, of how you see us today? And if a word pops up, it's the first word. Don't try to qualify what God's saying with your own excuses. But write that down in your phone, write it down on your paper, write it down on your hand. This is the way that God sees you today. This is the way that God sees you because you're loved by God. And if you don't see anything, try this again later. Ask God, how do you want to speak to me? God is a good God who loves us and wants to pour out good things over our lives. Because he's after our hearts. He's not after just our performance. He's after our hearts. And the story that Jesus tells that we're going to look at today is something of somebody who misunderstands this. Somebody who misunderstands Jesus and the cross and salvation. And puts all of his effort not in what's going on in his heart, but by what he can do. So Luke 18 verse 9, 
Uh, there's, there's three characters here in the story, and it says that Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. Okay, so a Pharisee is a good guy. Like, this guy grows up memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Not just their names, every single word in them. He does everything right. This is a guy who's part of a reform movement. He's trying to get everything in society back to being right. This is a good dude. With big issues. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. Okay, the average American gives 3% of their income to charity. This guy is lapping the field on the average person and he wants everyone to know it. Is he generous? Technically, mathematically, yes. On a heart level, Good gosh, no. He's a disaster. And the point is, is that Jesus looks at the heart. So there's the other person in the story. And there's the Pharisee, and then there's the despised tax collector. So you already understand what public opinion of this guy is. He's a tax collector. The way that his job worked was Rome would try to flatten countries by military and then by finances. Because once your military is dead and gone because the Romans have come in, their goal is that you never have any money to build it back up again because they're going to tax you so heavily. And the way that they tax people is if they're going to conquer country A, they're going to take somebody from country A and use them to rob their countrymen down to nothing and that person, whatever they want to charge on top of that, is that's their own free game. As long as Rome gets paid, that person can do whatever they want. So tax collectors were absolutely despised. The tax collector walks in, and he stands at a distance, and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified by God, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This guy knows that he's unworthy, and so he's putting himself in a place where he needs to call on God's generosity. He says, I'm completely unworthy. I'm not worthy to come into this place. I'm not worthy to lift my head to heaven. I'm not worthy to look at you. I'm a sinner, and I need you. He realizes that God is generous. And God's pattern from the beginning of the Bible to the end is to be drawn toward humility and to fight against people who depend on their own pride. That's God's pattern. And so what God shows here isn't saying, hey, it's fine to be a tax collector, do whatever you want. He's saying that he's calling both of these people to repent. But the person who doesn't need to fix the heart issues yet, the person who doesn't need to fix the heart issues is the tax collector. Jesus is saying, I look so much deeper than just what's on the outside. I look to your heart. And he, he does this by a third story that, that really shows well what God's getting after here. So it says, one day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. And then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these little children. I tell you the truth. So basically saying, get this, don't miss it. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. It's three, story, three characters that get closer and closer and closer to the point that Jesus is trying to make. He's saying it's not just about your list of what you do and what you don't that separate you from other people. It's not just having heart and then having no external things. He's saying, I want it all. I want the performance. I want the heart. I want you to become like a kid. 
I want you to look at me, people who have accomplished stuff. I want you to look at me the way that a kid looks at their parents. And I think with kids, the, the way that, that that heart, the things that we can identify in that are the, the idea that kids always know that their parents can do more. I, I should have counted this yesterday, but the times when my kids ask me, hey, dad, can you help me with this? Mom, can you help me with this? They love to create. They love to do stuff. They love to get involved in things, and they know that there's a point where they're going to get stuck, and their answer isn't, okay, I got to go back to Google. I got to figure this out. You know what? I'm a smart enough person. I should be able to just dig down deep and figure it out. No, I know who has the answer. Dad has the answer. Mom has the answer all the time. I need them. There's also a level of love and and value of other people that kids have that we grow out of, sadly. I think of my daughter, Ellie. She's four years old. She had just started kindergarten, uh, and she knows that at her school, there's, there's these tables where everybody else sits, and she's surrounded by all of her friends and stuff. She doesn't know how to read that well because she's just started. And then there's this other table that's over across, like, across the aisle from everything. And there's only like two kids who sit there. The two kids don't even really like each other, and so Ellie sees that, and she's sad, like she's our sensitive kid, and uh, actually we have three sensitive kids, and, uh, and so she picks up her lunch and decides, you know what, I'm going to go sit with those kids, because they're all by themselves, and, and they need people, they need a friend, so I'm going to take my peanut butter sandwich and go over to the table that has a big sign that says peanut free zone, and I'm going to show them the love of God by causing a massive peanut issue in the school, because she can't, she can't read and don't understand what she's doing. But that's, that's how God wants us to come to him, with an understanding that God can do everything, that we are his dearly loved sons and daughters, and with a heart that loves other people just like we love ourselves. That, man, there are kids over there who are lonely. I'm going to take what I have and go sit with them, not knowing that it's a major disaster on hand, but that there's people who need to see love. God says, that's what I want from you. And I think we set our kids up to do that in a number of ways, whether or not you have kids. I mean, as you walk out on the right, we've got a bunch of signups for teams to be on the worship team, to be on the welcome team, to be on our Spanish translation team that's going to start in a couple weeks. One of those teams that you can sign up to be on is the kids team. And this is way more than just holding babies and dealing with crying kids when their parents drop them off and then run off into here. But it's discipling the next generation is saying that God doesn't give you many salvation in a junior Holy Spirit. The God who created you comes to live inside you and teach you more and more every day about who you are to him and who the world is to you. I encourage you, if you're looking for a place to volunteer, a place to sign, a place to sign up, a team to be involved with here, sign up for that and raise up the next generation of God followers that are going to be leading the church long after we're gone. That one day we're going to pass and the people that we've invested in, they're going to be the ones who do everything that we've done, who sit in the seats that we've sat in, who, who invest in the people that we invest in. Another thing for us to do, and this is if you have kids or if you, if you, if you have kids in whose lives you're involved, is challenge them to know more about Jesus. Whether it's memorizing a verse, whether it's memorizing all 66 books of the Bible so that they know how to read their Bible and how to use that, those are things we can do. We model it by living a Christian life. We memorize stuff. You can memorize it with kids because kids' brains memorize things faster than ours do. And that's an area to, to plant the word of God in them and let it grow and let it produce fruit as they grow up. And that also means that sometimes we have to invest and figure out what the heck we're talking about when it comes to knowing about Jesus. 
And we've got a great class that's going on right here uh, at main campus on Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock. It's called Alpha. It is like your green light to ask all of your, what is this about God, Jesus, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the church? Ask all the questions that you could. Greg is leading it. He's going to do an excellent job because Greg loves stuff like that. He loves discussions. He loves talking with people about stuff that, that and like wrestling through theological issues. I love discussions where I get to preach and then after 20 minutes we can all go home like that that's my version of discussion i'm just not good at leading discussion like that greg is the man and if you're interested in that alpha tuesday nights at main campus and you even get food and childcare in it so that's basically my version of perfect but it's an amazing thing when we get to see a child become a christian and grow up in a family where nobody else follows jesus because that kid is going to have an impact on their family And it's an even better thing when mom and dad, especially dad, becomes a Christian and follows Jesus because those kids are going to be blessed in a way that they never would be before. So God says, come to me like little kids, and it's our responsibility if we've already come to Jesus to make that easy for our children. For generosity, a culture of generosity invades every area of our life. It's an emotional issue where we don't just practice seagull generosity, okay? What's seagull generosity? It's when you drive by, you see a need, you drop a dollar, you say, hey, good luck with that, and then you fly away, just like a seagull as fast as you can, okay? You got that picture, the bird comes by, it drops its thing, and then it's gone. Like, you even never know what happened. Emotional generosity means we don't just practice seagull generosity, we actually stay long enough to get involved emotionally, And that's one of the things that we hold on to. We say, yeah, there's a need, I can write a check, I can drop a few bucks, but I don't want to get involved. That's not the way that God works with us, is he's involved in every single way. And there's also physical generosity. Physical generosity means we share our stuff. And the litmus litmit, litmit test, very difficult, of whether or not you can do this, whether or not you're living in this, is if you have a refrigerator friend. Okay, so what's a refrigerator friend? And you can test this out on people this week. I, I think you should. But you walk into their house, you say hi, you walk to their kitchen, you open the refrigerator, you grab something to eat, you close the door, and everybody's okay with everything. Because it's one thing to have people over to your house, it's one thing to get involved emotionally, but as soon as they like don't take their shoes off when they walk in, or don't take their shoes off and put them in the right place, or they sit in your chair and not that other chair, like we, we hold on to everything possible. And the way that, that sin works with our head is that we'll be generous in this area, but not in this area. And so we need to be emotionally generous. We also need to be physically generous and say, what's mine is yours. I think in our culture, another way that generosity is big, even in a way that we don't see it often, is around the whole issue of marriage and sex, okay? Because marriage says, I am being generous with my life. I am giving over everything of who I am to another person. God created sex to exist between one man, one woman, and one marriage for one lifetime. And that one marriage and man and woman means that everything is is changing hands. That it's 100% commitment, it's 100% commitment on both sides. Everything is being given over. Part of that is sexual intimacy. And when that gets taken out, what we're basically saying is, is that, now hear me out, before we say anything, I want to make it a abundantly clear. We worship a forgiving God whose mercy, whose forgiveness, his power to take our past and completely change it is bigger than anything we could ever imagine. That people do not forgive the way that God forgives because people remember God just says it's gone. It's done. That person is forgiven. They are new. That's why we celebrate God's forgiveness because it's completely unlike anything else that we see. 
And so within, within sex and outside of marriage, when that happens, we're saying, I want this part, but I'm not going to give up my freedom, which is most important to me. And what God creates for us within marriage is a picture that says, I'm giving you everything. Sex is part of it. God created sex to exist within marriage. But for us to separate the two, we're, we're getting the sex and holding on to everything else. It's a very ungenerous picture of what God created sex to be. And the third thing is what we just talked about, that we're going to model out God's forgiveness, that we're going to practice forgiving generosity. I think we have two people and two types of people in our lives that we don't want to be forgiving towards. One type is the person that we've given everything to. It's like, I don't want to be generous with you. I don't want to be generously forgiven because I've already given you all this stuff. The second type of person that is tough for us to be generous with is a person who has done something to us that they owe us just like the person that we gave things to. And what God does is he says, I'm going to clear your account. We come to God this morning asking, God, I want you to work in my life. And God's not saying, okay, well, what about the stuff that we already dealt with yesterday? What about the forgiveness that I've already asked for, that I've already given you yesterday? It's gone. It's wiped away. It's a clean slate between us and God once we ask for forgiveness. God says, I want you to model that also. I want you to have the same attitude of forgiveness that you're going to see in me, where the past is gone. It's not just the past, it's gone. God says, I want you to have that same attitude. And then generosity drives us toward the joy we need. Drives us towards the joy we need. I mean, we look at the story, we look at the kids who come running up to Jesus. What are they filled with? Joy. Look at the Pharisee who memorized the first five books of the Bible, who did everything right, who tithed and all the stuff that he's supposed to do. Is that guy filled with joy? No. He's dead on the inside. Jesus is saying, I want that attitude with you where you are filled with joy. And the way you're going to get there is generosity. As you're open with everything in your life, saying it's all from God, it's all for God, how can I create a culture of generosity in my own life? And all that stems from God's love for us in the way that God sees each and every one of us this morning. There's not a person in here who is kind of loved by God. Not a person in here who's halfway invited into God's family. A person who's just like the B team who God looks at and, you know, he really wanted that person and I'm just glad you're here. It's not a person in that because we're sons and daughters of a God who loves us, who made us and wants to work in us. And so the way we're going to close today is going to be kind of different. We're going to have our prayer ushers who are usually up earlier in the service. They're going to be up on the front uh, because they want to listen to the Lord, the God who loves you, the God from the, the mirror exercise. We want to listen to God to hear what he has to say to you, uniquely you, individually you this morning. And we're just going to say, okay, God, what do you want to say to this person, this person, this person? And as you come up and say, I'd like to hear from God, we're going to pray for you and ask the God of the universe to speak to you, to get involved in your life, to get personal with you today. And I, so I encourage you to take advantage of that as we worship and as we have people up here. So let's stand and pray. So Jesus, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you're powerful. I thank you that your love for us is massive, that it never changes, that it never shrinks, that it's big all the time. And today, Jesus, you want to work in us. You want to remind us of who we are to you. You want to remind us of your love and generosity poured out on our behalf and how you did it with joy. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to ask him to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from the inside of you to the outside of you, 
to make you a new person. I want to give you that chance today. And you are not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with me and every other Jesus follower in here that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, if today's your day to say yes to Jesus, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And someone will come and pray with you as we close. So one, God loves you. He always has. He always will. And today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where we fight against God. We incur punishment. We build up a debt to God. And Jesus came to pay our debt for our freedom. And three, today's your day to say that's me. I'm ready to begin a relationship with Jesus. Is there anyone like that here today? Where today's your day to say yes to Jesus for the first time, to begin a relationship with him. If that's you, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand and somebody will pray with you as we close. So we're gonna have our prayer ushers up here up front. They wanna listen to God for a word for you because you matter to him and he wants you to know that in a completely unforgettable, unmistakable, personal way today. So let's worship and respond to our God who loves us.